Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Action Replay on DCUFM, the single best sports show on college radio. My name is Sean Breslin. It is so, so good to be back with you after nine long months off the air. And I haven't come alone. I've brought another Sean with me. Joining me on Action Replay today is Sean Crosby. Sean, how are you? Oh, not too bad. It's good to be here. Good to- yeah, we'll... Uh, We'll get around the difficulties of both of us being called Sean a little later. We'll kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. But there's so much to talk about, not just over the last nine months, but just this weekend, there was so much on. I mean, where do you want to start first? Uh, I think the best place to start is probably at Croke Park with the Leinster hurling final that took place between Kilkenny and Galway. Yeah, first of two provincial hurling finals on the weekend. And it always did feel like that Kilkenny-Galway, that was going to be how the Leinster final was going to be because they are clearly the number one, number two counties in the province. I mean, I know Wexford won it last year, but it didn't feel like that was uh, breaking any sort of monopoly on a permanent basis. Yeah. Uh, So... Kilkenny, were they deserved winners? Uh, I think in the end, yeah. The, I, I don't know. I think if you're a Galway fan, you'd be quite disappointed and frustrated. They really they didn't kill them off, I don't think. I think they had their chances to put it away and they never did. And I think they let TJ Reid hit numerous frees from easy distance. Uh, and like that's what kept Kilkenny in the game. Like Galway only led by a point at halftime. And really should have been up by a lot more. And then it was that Richie Hogan goal that turned the game on its head. Yeah, those sorts of moments of brilliance often do skew those games. It, when when you're so evenly matched, you just need that spark, and Richie Hogan gave Kilkenny that. Um, the other hurling final in in was in Munster, Limerick and Waterford, and I didn't expect Waterford to keep it as close as they did. I kind of expected Limerick to put them on them, but it was... Like Kilkenny Galway, it was a very competitive game throughout. Yeah, they, I, I think everyone was surprised by how much Waterford kind of held their own in that for so long. It was so tight for about 60 minutes, but it really came down to Limerick were absolutely clinical scoring from distance. And I think it was the subs as well. They got, in, they got in their fresh legs on the pitch and they really kind of just took over in the last quarter of the game. Yeah, you see, and it, it was it's the case with Limerick and it's the case with Galway as well that hurling... It is a game of skill, but when you can bring in these big, strong, powerful athletes, not just in your starting 15, but coming off the bench as well, that could really be the difference. Yeah, no, it clearly was, yeah. It really it really made such a huge difference to the, to the result in the end. So Kilkenny and Limerick have a weekend off now, this coming weekend, which, you know, bully for them. Um, but Galway and Waterford, they'll have to contest the All-Ireland quarterfinals. Uh, the draw was made this morning, I think it was. Galway, yeah. Galway Tip and Clare Waterford. And I always love this part of the hurling season because I feel like it's getting to the point where every single match is a heavyweight match. Up mm. And it could just really go either way. Let's start with Galway Tip. Uh, the All-Ireland champions were uh, pretty disappointingly dumped out of Munster, but they've, they've recovered since then. They... And they put a good beating on Cork. Well, it wasn't 
that bad of a beating, but any victory for Tip over Cork is going to be a good thing. And it felt like they learned their lesson from the Limerick semi-final because they chose to play against the wind in that game and were heavily, heavily punished for doing that. They got it right this time. Yeah, they did absolutely, and uh, I think the they look to be. I think they look to be favourites in their in the upcoming tie. Or no, I think I'd I'd see. I see Galway and Clare going through in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I I do think that both Clare and uh, Tipperary would be looking to get Waterford because no disrespect for them, but they're clearly the B side when it comes to quality of team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's there's six teams left. Um, it's it's like I said, it's really good this time of year because. Not only is it hard to pick a winner of Liam McCarthy, it's picked to, it's hard to pick individual winners in individual matches. So do you have an inkling at the moment as to who could go uh, all the way? Uh I think I think Limerick looked to be one of the more stronger sides. I think I think Kilkenny would probably be there thereabouts. And obviously, because you saw it in the Galway game, the likes of Richie Hogan, TJ Reid have just a touch of class about them, but I think for me, Limerick looked to be the most solid outfit uh, left in the tournament, left in it. Yeah, I'd be, I, I have to kind of agree with you. Limerick do look the strongest, but I, I do like the look of Galway as well, despite them losing to, uh, to Kilkenny this past weekend. I want to see a Galway Limerick match desperately because they played each other in the All Ireland final two years ago, and Galway were the pretty heavy favourites because. They'd won their first All-Ireland in a while the year before and it looked like as though they were going to establish a period of dominance much like Kilkenny had before them. But then against Limerick in 2018, I think they kind of came unstuck. Now, they had a bit of a an excuse because they had had to play an extra, extra game because their semi-final against Clare had gone to a replay. And I really want to see what it looked like when these two big, strong units of teams go up against each other where they're both relatively more well-rested. Yeah, it would be an interesting final to get, for sure, or it'd be an interesting tie to get for sure. Um, I, I could, Yeah, I could see that happen as well. Just any, I'm from Wexford, so anything that doesn't involve Kilkenny winning will be preferable, to be honest. Uh, so onto the football side of the tracks and the hurling has stuck with the qualifier format that with this COVID-induced championship that you didn't really expect them to go with qualifiers, but they, they have gone with it. Football has kept it more simple. You lose, you're out. Goodbye, good night. And as such, we've seen teams get whittled down at a, at a really alarming rate. But we got our first All-Ireland semi-finalists and our first provincial champions of the year, Mayo beating Galway. First Connacht title in about five years for them. And I don't know. They were they were deserving of their win, I thought, but never did I find them too convincing. Yeah, it was kind of... It, you saw with a lot of games this weekend, it really came down to the final kind of few minutes teams are really pushed all the way it's probably the occasion is what gets them and teams are nervy and no one really wants to give up anything i think that's why they're so close for so long but eventually they're gonna have to get used to the occasion it's nothing but big games from here on out oh, yeah. straight into a semi-final 
Oh, absolutely. And I think you'll see now, it's kind of, you could see it towards the end of those games. It's kind of what the Americans call clutch. Like yeah. that's what's needed now. It's those fine margins right at the end of the game is what's going to help teams get through. So there were other uh, provincial matches in Ulster and in Leinster. Um, Ulster semi-finals, Donegal. Oh, poor Armagh. I really thought that Armagh would put up a better fight than they did, which, I mean, it says more about the class of Donegal, but hmm. Armagh, they just never got going. No, they didn't really. Like you said, it is just that class. It's it, uh, you see it, you see it all the time. Like there's, it's it, I think it's uh, quite similar to what happened with Waterford in the Harland. Like they can really stick it to teams for so long, but in the end, it just comes down to again like fine margins and an ability to kind of create something out of nothing is what wins it for teams like Donegal in the end. And Cavan, Cavan are the story of the championship now, aren't they? They came back from ten points down against Monaghan, and. I kind of resent them for denying us penalties and having the temerity to actually kick a winner against Monaghan. But they came back from 10 down again this this um, this past Sunday to be down. Do they have a chance against Donegal? They've kind of become the the lovable, scrappy underdogs of the championship. Yeah, but Donegal are yeah it's kind of the Cinderella story. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. You'd wonder kind of, is it just... Is it just a wave they're riding, or can they push on through? I I think though, the class of Donegal should see them through in the end. But it'd be an interesting kind of tie. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real test for them. And is there any point talking about Leinster? I don't think so. Do no, <laughs> like everyone, it's the most. You don't need to follow Gar really to you know who's the major player in that. Like. They're just the dubs are just ahead of everyone. No, um, I think I think what said it all was um, they beat Leash in the semi final. In case you care, um, they there was one point where the I can't remember who scored the, who who it was that was involved in the attack, but they just they hand passed it over the defender, and normally you just catch it and slot it away, but he just let it bounce, volleyed it in soccer style. And, you know, that's the ease of it. it you know, I actually uh, went through a, uh, went through the fixtures over the last few years. Do you know that Dublin have now gone 39 championship games in a row unbeaten? God, really? Yeah. And um, if we get a non-COVID championship next year uh, with Super 8s and all, if they win the All-Ireland this year, and then go on and get to the All-Ireland final again next year, that All-Ireland final, barring any replays, that'll, they'll be going for um, 50 unbeaten. Beat the, beat the, the, the dominance is just unreal. It's mad, it's yeah. Ridiculous. Like, they're so far out. Uh, how close will me get in that Leinster final next week? I don't know. I I don't think they're really well. Maybe they will for the first. They do of, well to keep the margins single figures, won't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they will. It's it's, it's it kind of looks like a no brainer from here. Uh the only uh, football province we didn't get to see this week uh, was Munster, but that's been blown. Not not only the Munster championship, but the All Ireland championship has been blown wide open by the fact that Kerry aren't there anymore. Yeah, it's it's a it was a. 
it is a big loss, I think, for the neutrals as well. The kind of the kind of um kind of support the rest of the country would have for anyone that's playing against Dublin in the final. Kind of everyone's favourite has gone out of it now. And I don't know, it does, you're right, it blows it wide open. It'd be interesting to see if Cork can mount any challenge anywhere, but I'd I'd be surprised if they did. I still find it quite cool that one of Cork, Mayo, or Tipperary are going to be in the All Ireland final this year. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real kind of underdog story. A real yeah. I and you know, um, I think that Tip in this monster final because it's a uh, hundred years this year since Bloody Sunday when um, the Black and Tans mowed into Croke Park and just opened fire during a Tip Dublin football game. Yeah. I believe that for that all our, that monster final, Tip are going to be wearing the same kind of jersey that they were oh. in that game. I'm I can't I can't remember what, quite what the color scheme is. I think it's white with green. All right, but I'm just having a look at the yeah, it is. It's white with a it's white where the blue is and green where the yellow is. So that's gonna be. That's going to be really, really emotional for yeah. uh, maybe, just maybe, that's what spurs them on. Because tip in a All Ireland semi final would be mad. It's actually happened more recently than you might think. They were in the semi final four years ago uh, where they lost to Mayo. And coincidentally, that's who'll be waiting for them in the semi final if they do win. But yeah, with Cavan and Tipperary, it's nice to have these Cinderella stories amidst all the powerhouses like Donegal and Dublin. Yeah, it is really. It's it's something, particularly for like mutuals. It's really something to get behind. I think. So, in our first show of the twenty 2020, twenty 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 one academic year, we would have liked to be talking about or recapping the European Championships and the Tokyo Olympics and saying, "Oh my goodness, how good was that? Did you see this? Did you see that? Remember this? Remember that?" That wasn't the case, uh, but, you know, got to look on the bright side. It's something else to look forward to. And uh, this past Thursday saw the final group of uh, countries qualify. North Macedonia qualified, uh, well up to them. Uh, Hungary qualified, uh, beating Iceland, which is uh, a bit of a heartbreaker. Hmm. Uh, And then, then you got Scotland. Can you remember, this is the actual question I got for you. Do you remember the last tournament that Scotland were in? It definitely wasn't in my lifetime anyway. It wasn't in mine either. Was it? Oh, I feel like I've seen something about this. It was definitely, was it definitely, no. Was it um, Euro 96? No, it was France 98 actually. They've actually qualified to a closer one since then. Um, Do you know how um, you have songs like, in 1990, we had uh, Give It a Last Jack. Hmm. Their song in 1998 was called Don't Come Home Too Soon. <laughs> I have that's, seen that, actually, yeah. That's, uh, that's where Scotland are working from. Uh, they did come home too soon. They got out uh, there in the first round pretty early and saved anyone else the bother of thrashing them. Um, the 10th of 10 occasions they've qualified for a championship and the 10th of 10 occasions they've been knocked out in the first round. But, hey, things might be different this time. You'd imagine so. I don't, they look, you'd imagine it's a slightly better side, you know, the likes of Robertson. Yeah, I mean, I, we should stop um, dumping on them and focus on the positive. They've got good players. They've got Robertson from Liverpool, 
They got McTominay from United. And I actually really liked what I liked them in that Serbia game. They didn't they they didn't look out of their depth against a pretty strong international team. And they probably deserved to win it even before it went to penalties. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And you can see that they've improved a lot over the last few years. Like they've become a bit more of a footballing side. But that's due to the fact of the players they have, like you said, like the Robertsons and the McTommies and the likes of John McGinn and players like that. They've they do there's the good there's kind of a good um work ethic in the team, but then there's still players who can get a ball down and actually play football. Uh Ireland won't be going to the Euros, which is kind of embarrassing now that it's been um extended to twenty four teams. Um do you remember what do you remember about the that Slovakia game and the penalty shootout and all? Uh, it was real. I, I've, I've, I felt sorry, particularly for Stephen Kenny. I felt sorry for him since mm. he's taken over. Really, uh, that game I think perfectly sums up the luck he's had. You can see that the players believe in his system of playing football on the ground, and it does work for them. Their chances have been made. It's just they simply can't score. Like the the Hor- miss and the Alan Brown misses were costly in that, and it's kind of. There's so much you can blame on it. Like there is so much of it comes down to luck sometimes. And I do I genuinely do believe I'm probably one of the few people in this country that actually support Stephen Kenny. But I do believe they just have been incredibly unlucky at times. Yeah, I think Stephen Kenny's um tenure was always due to start uh with the World Cup qualifiers for Qatar. He was never supposed to be in involved in this Euro campaign. So I, I yeah, I do agree with you. I think it's a good thing to start the Start afresh with the World Cup qualifiers and consider that to be his his starting point. But we can take solace in the fact that we at least we lost to a team who are actually going to the Euros because they went on to to beat Northern Ireland uh, in Windsor Park. Mm. Uh, I remember in one of our last shows before lockdown, we were all talking about, oh, wouldn't it be funny if. Um, Ireland played Northern Ireland in Belfast, then no, it would actually be quite dangerous. Uh, but, you know, we kind of avoided that, both through COVID and the fact that we didn't even get to that point. Yeah. But would Northern Ireland, would Northern Ireland feel hard done by by that result? Um, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know. I think Slovakia were probably the better side, and I think they are. They do have... You know, the likes of Hamšík in that team, like and I yeah. don't think Hamšík's been there for ages, hasn't he? Hmm? Hamšík's been their talisman for ages. Oh yeah, he's been he's around forever. I think he's still Napoli's all-time goal scorer. I think. What are they going to do when he's not around anymore? They, I, don't know, it's I, mean, I don't know who else is really in terms of an outfield player. I don't know who else is in that kind of setup. I think that's. I think looking at countries like. Slovakia, and then you look at like um, the more recent result against Wales. One thing that Ireland seemed to lack, and they've lacked it for a long time, is like one talisman to build around. Yeah. So Ireland don't have a Gareth Bale or a Marek Hamšík. Like we did have, in fairness, we did have a Robbie Keane, we had Roy Keane, that, 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 those, that kind of generation of players. But now we lack kind of this one world beater to be ahead of everyone. Is that down to the the system that Ireland plays? Is it because Kenny 
he seems to be going away from the kick and chase sort of thing, and it's more of a a team effort. Does that allow individuals to stand out? I still think it would allow. If anything, I think it would allow, it would help them stand out more because realistically, they'd be seeing more of the ball. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that is what we're lacking really in that department. Also. Uh, if you're wondering what Ireland were doing in this um, period of qualification, they were uh, thumbed 3-0 by England at Wembley, and then they lost 1-0 to Wales in Cardiff, which um, is, that Wales match marked uh, a run, a record run now for the Irish national team of six games without a goal. So, you know, just keep, don't, don't get your pitchforks out, let's just Give Penny a chance to do some stuff with the World Cup. Yeah, I think he does deserve a little bit more time, just to just to kind of because you can see you can see that there's foundations there and it, it comes off at times. But I think he does deserve a little bit more time to get things right and get things prepared for Qatar. Indeed, we'll talk about happier times with Ireland against Wales in, in a second. But first. Uh, like you can see on the screen just there, I want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at DCUFM Sport on both. Go check us out for some lovely content. But it was a better time for Ireland against Wales in the rugby in this Autumn Nations Cup thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a good win, but as I was watching, I got a feeling that I kind of got with, with the soccer as well. And that's should should they even be happening? Because let's face it, the Autumn Nations Cup is not much. It's uh, pretty much a placeholder for the November internationals that would normally be happening. And you know, we got this whole Nations League thing in the soccer. But is it is it wise? I mean, should we be actually getting these guys to play more games? Like I I, I think people give international breaks a hard time. You see these memes all the time. Like oh, no Premiership for two weeks. Sob into your into your bowl of milk or something, but they they do they do serve a purpose. And if you properly invest them, they can be quite interesting. But during these COVID times, I'm not sure if it's the best idea to to be playing these extra games and interacting and mingling with these extra people from outside of your team. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. Um, John, but I don't know. I feel it, it's kind of irresponsible. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think if you want to look at it from a COVID standpoint, like there's a lot of traveling, like Ireland, the football team are running there. I know they're at home now, but like Bulgaria will be coming to Dublin to play against them. And like you said, like with the rugby as well, they're in Paris and now they're, and now they're playing against Wales. Like there is a lot of mingling. And so from that standpoint, it isn't the most responsible thing. And then also, and like they're not really the most essential. Of tournaments, it's not like as if this is like the main kind of tournaments going on, like things like the Nations League and stuff like that. Um, and then if you, you want can to afford to put it on the wayside, hmm? you can afford to just put it to one side and say, yeah. okay, we can get rid of this. I think for for one year, like I, I think these tournaments mainly are just for rankings and stuff. And then I think you can look at it from a from a kind of sports uh, angle as well. And like you know, the season started a lot later this year and there's been a lot of cluster of games and then you've the international break coming in the players are just overran I think and like you see it with the 
rugby as well, like Saxon and Stockdale look like they could be doubts for the England game and stuff. And like so it's having an effect on teams. Uh we got a little bit sidetracked there. I think we should it we the fact of the matter these games are happening and we should be happy about the fact that Ireland uh did win and they won pretty well. And uh James Lowe got his um international debut and looked good in the process. But um I, I I feel like Wales are really heading downhill. I think the loss of their coach, their longtime coach, Warren Gatland, has affected them more than it has us when we lost our longtime head coach, Joe Schmidt. Um, do you think this is um, a, just a blip for Wales or is it the start of a bigger problem? I don't know. Yeah, it could be the start of a much bigger issue for them. Like, yeah, they're not really the same kind of powerhouse that they once were. And I think, you know, we we won, Ireland won at the weekend, but everyone's kind of reaction was, it's only Wales kind of a thing. And the bigger test is the likes of England and stuff. Um, yeah, no, it is, it is slightly worrying for them, I would say. Uh, well, for all the people who do cry into their bowl of milk about the Premiership not being around, uh, never fear, it's back this weekend. And since we've been off the air, little things have happened. Liverpool won the league. That's small, that's small little detail. And Leeds are back. And that first game, uh, Liverpool versus Leeds. I mean, it was always going to be big when Leeds are back. But I actually like that dynamic of Premiership champions versus Championship champions. And that could be... I like the idea of that being a regular thing. Like in the NFL, they always start the first game of the season is the Super Bowl champions. And I really like the idea on opening day, the premiership champions versus the championship champions. And you, I, I, it, it, you had the two trophies next to each other in the studio. And it really felt like an important clash. And also the game was fantastic. Yeah, it was a brilliant game. That is a good idea, actually. I've never thought of something like that. I think that... that that would actually, I honestly think most more people would see that as a bigger game than the likes of the Community Shield and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and if you're trying to expand the Premiership to this national international audience, they're probably not going to be too aware of the teams coming up from the Championship. Mm. Um, the, I mean, the Europe, the European Premier League could put pay to all that, and that's actually something we're we're going to talk about next week on the show, but. It is good to get these smaller teams out there to the wider world. And I think despite losing, Leeds made about as good a statement as I think you could possibly hope for against the reigning champions. Yeah, they did. They really it was a it was a really exciting game. It was back and forth. And I think you saw like Patrick Bamford is one of the only strikers I've ever seen to unsettle Virgil van Dijk. Like they really came out with absolutely no fear. I think they're, I, I honestly think they are nearly everyone's like almost second team. Like everyone's kind of deep down some of you are rooting for them because they've just come up and they don't, they're not doing that kind of typical newly promoted side thing of trying to sit back and kind of, you know, they go out with a kind of underdog mentality. They come out and they just play football and they just take a right to teams and they're really exciting to watch this game. Yeah, I think, um, a lot of people were thinking that Leeds were a team that never should have got relegated in the first place. They were just too historical a club. And they're certainly playing like that. But uh, the table has since then started to shake itself out a little bit more. 
Yeah, it inexplicably shook itself out with Everton on top, but they've lost a couple of games now, so that's been rectified. And um, normal norm, normality has been resumed, but Leicester on top. Do you remember, do you remember when Les, Leicester being on top of the league was an aberration? Yeah, that was, that was something else that year. Um, they've, they've come on since then, though. Like, they, like, the fact that now we actually see them as a mate, as like a... I don't know if contender is the right is the right word, but like it does like they're a perennial. They're like what Everton were back in the day in in kind of the mid to late two thousands, constantly finishing fifth and kind of having a crack at the top four, but never quite making it. But they were still a really well respected team. But they'll um, they'll have their work cut out for them because in probably the pick of the fixtures this weekend, they got they got to go to Liverpool. Yeah, it'd be an interesting. It'd be an interesting tie. Um, but then Liverpool, at the moment, their squad is absolutely depleted. And again, you could, like, Robertson is the latest name on the injury list, again, kind of, that um, that could be given as an argument towards the whole, should they be playing so many international games? It'd be yeah. an interesting tie. And I think especially Brendan Rodgers, out of all people, will want to get one over on Liverpool. He, yeah, I mean, he got... He got sacked the year Leicester won the league, and you know, he had that fantastic moan where there he found out found out live in the studio, and Jamie Carragher just pulled Thierry Henry's hand off his leg. The West Brom against Man United. Man United, they are ugh. the most conundrum conundrum in all of professional sporting conundrums, aren't they? What, what, what is going on? Yeah, one of the most stressful football teams to follow. Um, I, I just they lack so much consistency because you can see it in like the Champions League games, or well, in the first two. Yeah, so, I'm gonna mention Bashir did a number. They're a brilliant big game side. Like they get something happens and they can get riled up for it, and then they'll play against the likes of Istanbul and just be all over the place. Like you, you see for the that first Dembélé goal. When the entire back four was in the opposition's box, and imagine Matic decided he was playing right wing back instead of standing in the centre of the pitch. Like that's that's really basic kind of schoolboy stuff. Like it was kind of shocking to see it happen to such a big club. Yeah, so, I believe I believe the scientific term is a comedy of errors. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of sums them up perfectly. Like because they'll go on a run and they'll these fantastic performances and then when they lose it's they never United seems to never really lose uh, by a small margin and it never seems like they were undeserving losers it's always something embarrassing and calamitous every time I think we're watching history in the making because I don't think there's been ever a professional team in the history of not just football but sport that have been more Jekyll and Hyde than what United have been recently yeah no they really haven't Particularly a club with that much prestige, like the the diff, like the complete shift from when it was Ferguson's team to mm. now, the fear factor is gone. And there's kind yeah. of there's a different perception in my United. It is, you're right, it is like history in the making. I mean, we could debate until we're blue in the face, but um, what Man United are as a club. I mean, you could write a thesis about it, but I think that's a it's discussion for another time. Mm. They've got West Brom. Uh, we finally actually getting to the the match they're playing this weekend. 
I can't, I can't pick, I can't just pick a winner. I can't pick a score. I mean, this is a team that has lost 6-1 at home to Spurs. And this is a season that has produced results like Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. Yeah, it's it's impossible to call, particularly with United. It'll be interesting because what you'll see as well is I feel like West Brom will go out with a low block and they'll try and sit back. And United struggle so much to break through them. If they if United don't score score early, and if United can't hit teams on the counter, they have a real problem. So I wouldn't be surprised if Slavon Bilic brings out that West Brom side to kind of go for a smash and grab kind of job. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's the type of match that you kind of have to tune into because you don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, that's the sort of match that you could put on pay-per-view. You really could. And they're they're just the most entertaining team to watch for better and for worse, really. Speaking of pay-per-view, I actually remember I, I said on the show uh, a few years ago that um, after watching the Man City versus Spurs, Champions League quarterfinal second leg, the one where, you know, the goalkeepers were on holiday for the first 20 minutes and five goals flew in. Mm. That that's the that's that match is the sort of thing that you could put behind the paywall and not a soul would complain because it, it was it was worth the 15 quid that you'd have yeah. to pay for it. But I don't think they they got the message quite because they put uh, West Brom and Burnley on pay-per-view which yeah. if, if any West Brom or Burnley fans listening I do apologise but I, I don't think you would pay for that match you could be you could be paid to watch that match but 15 quid for that no thank you yeah it was a, it's a strange choice like they I was surprised that none of the kind of big games were put behind it but I feel like that's Sky's intervention really but, yeah, uh, it's, it's. I think it's a kind of that whole pay per view thing is just awful. It's another case of just trying to leech as much money out of the sport as they can, and we'll probably talk about that in more detail next week when we talk about the the European Premier League. That idea that was kicked around uh, a couple of months ago. But uh, another match that is going to be huge is Man City traveling to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which, as I've said many times on this show is the best and worst and worst and worst stadium name in football. Spurs under Mourinho finally seems to be clicking, but are they a title challenger? They're second in the league at the moment, but can can they kind of last the pace? Because I think over the last few years, Mourinho has been a bit like United in that they've lacked consistency. Yeah, you're right there. He kind of has. Um, I would see them as title contenders, I think. I, th- I think he he has them set up the way he wants to, like they, they're they're real. I don't know if you watched the documentary on Amazon Prime, but he talks about trying to make them into. They can't, I can't really say the word on this, but he wants them to be you know really aggressive and not be nice guys on the pitch. Yeah, I think he wants to make them like his Chelsea team was no five oh six, just serial relentless winning machines. And I mean, it's tough to be a winning anything when you're coming up against Man City. Yeah, it is tough, but I think Man City are a team in transition as well or or something. They're they're not hundred percent right either. The centre back issue hasn't been solved. They've never all. recovered from company leaving. 
No, they really didn't. He never, he never, for some reason, he never went out and bought like a real old school centre back. He just wants ball players, but you can't have four ball players in your back four. You need someone like like company to kind of do the dirty work for them. In in their defence, I don't think they could have replaced company if they tried. It was just too integral to the team. Uh, and the last game we'll talk about is we talked about Leeds, how well they've done, but they are 15th in the table, which the table's in a good bit of flux at the moment because they're on 10 points. And then there are teams up in 8th and ninth, maybe even 7 that are on 13. So there's it, they're kind of tightly packed in that mid-table, but they're off to to Arsenal and I I feel like this is a result this is a result that Leeds can have go their way because they're at home and Arsenal they haven't been great but they're they are always there but I wouldn't blame Leeds fans for being confident on this one. No I I uh, kind of a lie I think <clears throat> I think Arsenal are another case of the likes of United and City who are, they never are 100% right and with Arsenal you never know what you're going to get like they could come out and it could be an absolute masterclass from the likes of Aubameyang and stuff like that or it could just be a comedy of errors again so I I would be confident as a Leeds fan that they could nick a result here uh, Moving on to the golf and golf is not something you need to be focusing on on a enormously consistent basis but once the Masters roll around you have to sit up and pay attention Exactly. And there were records tumbling in this Masters. Uh, Dustin Johnson, well worth his win, uh, became the first guy in Masters history to get to 20 under par. That is, that is phenomenal. Incredible, really. It's, to think that not even Tiger did something like that. And Tiger, I think, had the joint record. I think it was 18 yeah, under. Yeah, he did. I think it was him and someone else might have shared. I'm not entirely sure. I think it was Spieth. Yes, he won it in twenty fifteen, I think, uh, some sometime in the mid two thousands, um, and then there was another guy whose name escapes me, but, but was the first guy ever to get uh, a round, all four rounds in the sixties. It was really, it was like you said, it was records galore. It was a real, it was a great tournament, in fairness. I do really feel bad for Rory because he had he had a really good tournament in in the grand scheme of things. If you're uh, if you're just looking at it objectively, but it could it could have been so much better if he hadn't started with a seventy five mm. three over, and if he had if he'd had a even an okay first round, he could have been in the mix. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, he um, he probably should have been there thereabouts, but. It is just kind of keeping your cool, and like I think Johnson's a great example of that. Like to be just so kind of clinical throughout and just see it out is that's why he won it. And then, and I feel like that's what McElroy lacked. And I think you could see it something obviously happened similar like that with Tiger because he went 10 over on the 12th hole, and it kind of set the set the course for his kind of almost collapse and for Johnson to just kind of go through and win it. Another guy celebrating a big win is Lewis Hamilton. Uh, got his seventh F1 world title when he won the Turkish Grand Prix on Sunday. And the fact that Lewis Hamilton is being considered maybe the greatest driver of all time has kind of crept up on me because I still remember when he was still kind of the young, next big prodigy of the sport. 
Yeah. And now he's um he's being held up against Michael Schumacher, as in, is he the greatest? And there are a lot of people that say, yeah, he is. Is is he actually? I because I, I'm not the biggest follower of F F1. I'm I probably should be looking at it a bit a bit more closely. But is he is he actually that good? Well, he must be. Like you can't, you know, the numbers don't lie. Like seven world titles is is an incredible feat, and it's the exact same as Schumacher. I think possibly there's kind of a dislike towards him sometimes. Um. And obviously, like, like Schumacher is held in such a high regard. But, I mean, he has the same amount as him. Like, he, he has every right to be kind of at that table and be put in the conversation. Uh, finally, this week, we're going to talk about probably Ireland's best sporting export, uh, Katie Taylor. Um, just dominated another uh, really, really tough opponent. I watched the fight with uh, uh, Miriam Gutierrez from Spain. Mm. Uh, they actually aired the fight for free on YouTube because as good as Katie Taylor is, she's not an enormous draw. So I think that was quite a clever decision by who are her promoters to stick their fight on for free where they expected her to produce a masterclass and just get her out there to the wider audience and she delivered in spades. Yeah, she really did. It was it was just it was about as almost like routine. Like she just went out and really just did what she needed to do. It was she cruised, absolutely cruised to it. And it's it's a fantastic achievement for her. And like she is, like you said, probably our best sporting export. The draw like maybe the draw isn't there because she isn't as much of kind of um, she doesn't, you know, talk. Does talking as much as say the likes of McGregor and stuff. Mm. But I mean, like you look at like, but she's a completely different athlete as well. I think she's a very good rep, uh, ambassador for this country as well. Like you could see after the after the win, Gutierrez and herself were both very humble. And she let Gutierrez hold her belts and take photos with her and stuff. So she's you know kind of great in and out of the ring kind of. Yeah, I think Gutierrez actually said that Katie was her hero, which uh, kind of makes sense because the, when you consider the amount Katie's done for women's boxing, is it, it kind of makes sense that she's these girls' hero. But I think a special mention has to be given to Gutierrez because she took some punishment, especially in the first half of the fight, where you think Katie's got to get her out of there. And some might criticize Katie for not finishing the fight, but... I think more so it's that Gutierrez was just not, she just refused to be be stopped before the final bell. And you see these cases a lot of when very good fighters come up against elite fighters and the very good fighter is clearly dominated, but they, they still give it, they give it their best, which is kind of a cliche, but, it's not just that they they get success of their own, but they stand up to what's being thrown at them and they keep moving forward. So I think Gutierrez, she'll probably fade from public view again after this, but I think she deserves all the credit in the world. Yeah, she does. You're right. And I think that's um, it's actually a theme of quite a lot of the stuff we covered this weekend is kind of the underdog really like sticking. She maybe didn't stick it to Taylor as much as like some of the other cases we had. But, you know, she held in for those 10 rounds and she really held her own ground and didn't give in. And I think you saw, saw a lot this weekend with a lot of the results. So it was great to see them, man. 
So the question is always after after these fights is, is always going to be what's next because Katie's actually got a lot of options now. She's got that big money fight with uh, Amanda Serrano, which was actually supposed to happen uh, earlier this year, but then when the when COVID made the event fall apart, Serrano couldn't commit, so per- Delphine Pursuit stepped in, and that was good for Katie, I think, to kind of get that questionable win off her record and kind of decisively take the second fight she can go up and down in weight classes there's um there's another girl who holds four belts um that katie's already beaten so maybe she could go up and fight there uh but um that that girl mccaskill will have to get past um the girl she took the belts from who was undefeated in 36 fights before uh she beat her and cro- there's a there's talk about crossover fights as well with the uh, MMA fighters like Chris Cyborg or Amanda Nunes. The one I really want to see actually is um, in terms of crossover fights is Katie Taylor versus Holly Holm because not only does Holm has have name recognition as the girl who knocked out Ronda Rousey, but she was actually a pro boxer before she was a mixed martial artist, and she actually held. Uh, some she actually held legitimate recognized world boxing titles. She actually held a couple of the titles that McCaskill is holding at the moment. And with the weight she fights at, she fights at 135, um, the same weight that Katie fights at. I think it would be a really good thing, not just for women's boxing and women's MMA, but for women's sport, because I think Katie deserves that big thing to get her name out there as much as she can. And, you know, Dana White has proven with the Mayweather-McGregor fight that he's willing to, to compromise if both sides, um, both sides are happy with, with the deal. I'm sure it's something that Eddie Hearn would love to get his hands on. And you, you could even throw McGregor's sports and entertainment promotional thing in there as kind of a middleman to make it happen. So I think that makes the most sense if you want to build Katie up to get her kind of a legacy fight as um, both she and Eddie Hearn said that she probably deserves, but the, the future is looking bright for Katie Taylor. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's just, she's just going from strength to strength, really. And I think that that kind of crossover kind of fight, massive kind of pay-per-view would be exactly what she needs. And like you said, she absolutely deserves it. Uh, it would be a good move. and It would be great to see as well. Cause it'd be someone, I think you look at like, like some McGregor's, quite a divisive character in this country but I could imagine if Kay Taylor was going into something as big as that like you'd have the whole country on our side and I think it would just be, it'd be great to see I think and uh, we'll be talking about McGregor next week on the show we'll be talking about his potential rematch with Dustin Poirier we'll also be talking about like we mentioned this proposed European Premier League and why it is a terrible idea uh, we'll be recapping the football provincial finals, the hurling quarterfinals, all the Premier League, all the rugby, and any and all sports stories that crop up over the next seven days. But that's going to do it for this edition of Action Replay. Sean, as ever, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. And uh, you can follow uh, us on Twitter at DCUFM Sport. Also on Instagram, the same handle, at DCUFM Sport. And we'll be back here on Twitch next week 
We'll see you then. This has been Action Replay. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.